0: Peace and blessings be upon you. Welcome to the Ta'leef Podcast, a space where we aim to provide content and connect our spiritual hearts with community, love, service, and prophetic
1: wisdom. In <laughs> It of course is a great honor and a great privilege Uh, Whenever I get an opportunity to be in conversation with this group um, And to spend our uh, evenings discussing something absolutely essential not only to our lives as Muslims, but to our lives as people. Right? This didactic poem is entitled Matharatul qulub or Purification of the Heart. And one of the things that I really appreciate about this book, among other things, is that its subject matter, its content is absolutely universal. It's applicable to every person. Right? Every, everything that we're talking about is relevant to everyone so um, we get an opportunity to really explore not only our tradition as it relates to <clears throat> ourselves but we get to engage in kind of a collective exploration of universal knowledge, knowledge that is universally relevant uh, this evening i have the great honor of
2: Conversing
1: with my brother, doctor, right? Not, not yet. No, I'm not done. Okay, <laughs> you, But, Inshallah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Dr. Muhammad Taysir Safi. And, um, you know, um, I, sitting here with him about to engage this conversation is really remarkable on many levels because I met you years ago yeah,
2: 2006,
1: seven. 2006 or seven in yeah. Egypt. At the time you were studying Arabic at AUC at American University in Cairo but you didn't really think about at that time you weren't thinking about like a trajectory of religious study
2: yeah I think I was yeah that's probably right
1: right so but since then you've been to Turkey you studied uh, the sacred sciences here in the states Mm. now you're back you're doing the PhD at Northwestern just Introduce yourself a bit just in terms of sure. your interest and in, in how some of this came about.
0: Sure. Bismillah. Alhamdulillah. Salah salam I say also this. First of all, it's an honor to, to be with you, uh, to be here at Taneef among you know, family and people that we love and care about. Um, yeah, I, I, when, I, when I left the States, I was in Michigan, not too far from you guys. Um, mm-hmm. I went to um, Cairo in the hopes of learning Arabic better. Um, I grew up speaking a little bit of Arabic, but I couldn't read or write in Arabic really. Um, and the idea was to probably do something like a PhD JD. Um, and so that's why I went to Cairo is around the time that I met you. Um, but then actually relevant to this book is I kind of had a little bit of an existential crisis and, um, I started realizing like, maybe I, This is not really what I'm looking for. There's something missing and I'm like searching for something. I'm not really sure what that thing is. Is it too close? Okay, thank you. Um, And so, uh, you know, I I took a different path. I don't want to kind of go too much into that unless it's that interesting to you all. Um, But I decided to travel to Yemen, to a desert Mm -hmm. and um, spend some time there. And I found, as I kind of often will articulate it to people, like I gave up certain things. A lot of people thought I was crazy when I did that. But I really, I would do it all over again. Like I felt like I traded something for something that I got was much more valuable, which is kind of peace of mind and peace of heart. Um, And since then, worked in the community in in the states for a good seven or eight years, and then went back abroad. And I've been in Istanbul for the last five years, um, studying traditionally and also uh, academics. And I'm not uh, doing a PhD at Northwestern, but I'm at a fellowship there uh, for this year.
1: Okay, Mashallah. Well, we're very very happy to have you. we actually spent time in the same place in Yemen, yeah. right? So they say, you know, Yeah, that's right. You know,
2: whoever
1: goes into Terim comes out sound. Right? Mm-hmm. comes out healthy. Um, the chapter that we're discussing uh, tonight is mishandling microphones and uh, all of the associated. Uh, oh wow, we're really getting we're really getting out of it now. Right? First, I tried to. I tried to screw it accidentally. Uh-oh. This should be simple enough. Probably, not going to need help. <laughs> uh, Allahu
3: Akbar. So
1: what I what I usually ask first uh-huh. is heedlessness or ghafla. What are some of your initial impressions? Sure. Just initial impressions. When you you know what immediately comes to mind. Yeah. When you hear the term heedlessness.
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, I I definitely feel like distraction. I think that's probably, if I, you know, just for a second pause, don't think about like religious texts, don't think about traditional sources. Think the immediate, the word itself, the first thing that comes to mind is distraction and how easy it is to become distracted. Um, And really, really distraction in all of its iterations. So, you know, my wife and I talk about this all the time. We have three kids that you guys just saw. Um, it's so easy to like be with your kids and then all of a sudden be distracted by, by you know, something that just came in, right? <laughs> um, or to be distracted even by a thought from a very kind of engaging conversation that a person is having with their friend or their, their spouse, et cetera. So I definitely think if the first thing that comes to mind for me is, is just the, uh, the all-pervasive nature of distractions.
1: You know, and, and, and some people actually say that we are a culture of distraction, mm-hmm. although you find um, the counterbalance to that in this idea of presence or mindfulness. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I, that Even though I'm kind of a stickler mm-hmm. for using terms that come out of our tradition, tradition because yeah. language mm-hmm, mm-hmm. carries with it the baggage of ideology. Sure. Right. But I do think that there is some overlap. Yeah. between this idea of mindfulness yeah. and you know a kind of presence sure that we should aspire to as as muslims
0: sure i think that's that's definitely right and i and probably in if we want to say i'm trying to think how to translate this from arabic but if we want to say kind of on the other end of distraction um or heedlessness if we want to use kind of a more technical term um, is i would say presence and that term definitely is there in our tradition that the goal of everything that we do is to be present. Mm -hmm. Um, So often when they talk about like worship, it's okay, we do have all of these like physical motions that we do, these things that we say, right? Um, These time periods, but the the ultimate goal of everything is to be present. And that definitely exists within the tradition. And I think, I mean, I'm not an expert on mindfulness, but Mm I think there's some clear overlap between mindfulness and presence.
1: No, my my introduction to mindfulness was, um, I did the mentorship program here at Tetley, and we went to Marin County, right? Mm. It was a a Zen meditation- uh, uh, Center. Center, right? A Zen meditation retreat uh, center. And the people there were engaged in very uh, intentional spiritual practices. And one of the things they would do is that they would spend the first 15 minutes of every meal in complete silence. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the leader of our group decided that even though we were being hosted and they were very gracious Mm -hmm. in their hospitality and they gave us a separate room. Mm -hmm. If we didn't wanna engage that practice, right? We could just get our Mm -hmm. food Mm talk. But uh, to respect the traditions, the customs, we said, we will do the same thing. Mm -hmm. We will spend the first 15 minutes of every meal in complete silence. And it was the first time that I had ever been present with my food and the textures felt different. Mm -hmm. The notes were more pronounced, right? right? Even uh, the smells of the different dishes. um, And the food was very good at this place. But that ironically was how I learned of the fruits of like presence because usually you know, you're just speeding right through the food. There's something else that you're not really focused mm. on eating. Maybe you're conversing. Maybe you're checking your phone, mm. etc. And so I asked uh, one member of our group who converted to Islam from uh, transcendental Buddhism. Right? He was mm. a very serious practicing mm. Buddhist. Mm. He used to go on meditation retreats. Mm. I'm talking about Michael Anderson, if you guys know him. Mm. <laughs> um, I remember asking him what did you find in Islam? I mean, you had this very intentional, Mm -hmm. uh, very meaningful spiritual Mm -hmm. practice. What did Islam offer you that Mm -hmm. that spiritual practice Mm -hmm. wasn't
2: offering you? Mm -hmm.
1: He said, Allah,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. right? Referencing the fact that Buddhism is a non-theocentric religion. Mm -hmm. And so what he wanted in Islam was Allah, Mm -hmm. but he still uh, taught meditation, mindfulness, and he defined it as, not lingering in the past and not leaning into the future mm-hmm. but really recognizing the significance of your present moment mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and really just kind of uh being there sure right mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. in that regard uh, there are lots of hadith of the prophet so, salam, so. that indicate that he was a man of tremendous spiritual presence yeah. you know the hadith in sahih muslim where he's resting And Aisha says, Ya Rasulullah, it's good to see you taking rest. And he says, My eyes. Yes, I I, I rest my eyes and I I sleep. Hmm. But my heart is always present. Hmm. But I think often about, can we handle that kind of presence? (laughs) Or do we rely, in a sense, on a certain level of distraction?
0: Yeah, I I think this is very interesting. It's a good question. I've never seen anyone articulate it that way. But I, I think it's actually a really great way to articulate it. Uh, I almost get asked, I served as a chaplain for about four years on a college campus. So, you know, one of the things people ask about a lot, and it's very normal, especially Muslim students, you know, just saying, look, I struggle being present. Mm -hmm. In my prayers or in what have you, we all struggle. By the way, it's not just the students, right? We all struggle with this. So, you know, I almost kind of look at the question in the flip, the flip direction, which is, you know, the way I would kind of articulate it is, well, the prayer—that's like the whole point. It's like a training ground. It's like you're you're working to try to be present in the prayer and knowing that you're gonna fail and you just keep trying. And I think the to go back to your question, it's like because the prayer itself is just a small part of our entire day. But the goal is eventually to try to kind of increase that, that period that you're present, like more and more and more and more, you know, and it's almost like the prayer is there as like a simple reminder. Like, okay, I I know it's hard to remain present, but at least five times a day, try Mm -hmm. not even succeed necessarily, but just try. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think that that, I, I do think that that's clearly one of the, Aims of, of the various devotional acts and the various kind of things that we engage in religiously.
1: MashaAllah. Looking at Imam Malud's opening uh, bait or opening <coughs> line, he says, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, heedlessness is being careless concerning what God has commanded one to do and has prohibited. So, he, you know, his initial take is quite legalistic. Right. Right? It, it, he goes straight right. into the halal and the haram. Now, we were thinking presence, and we were yeah. speaking a little more holistically. We were speaking yeah. a little more spiritually. Not mm-hmm. to say that law and spirituality sure. are not connected. Sure. But he goes straight into the halal and the haram. Sure. Um, how does the halal? How do the halal and haram relate to presence, or is this a different kind of presence? Or I mean. I mean, what's your take on this opening line?
0: Yeah, um, I, it's I think an interest. It's it's like a kind of a, a, an interesting contemporary question for us because often in our religious literature, things will be articulated in this kind of legalistic framework. And I agree with you. I wouldn't want to demean from it at all because I I do believe the legalistic thing is is it's it's tied into the rest of the religion. But I do think that it's important. That we kind of zoom out a little bit and see that it's one part of a much bigger painting. So, for example, if you go to Imam Al-Ghazali talking about, uh, by the way, who the Imam himself, a lot of the things he's getting, he's getting from, <laughs> from uh,
3: and he's getting from <laughs> a
2: debate about hoard together.
0: Mm-hmm. but one of them, one of the opinions is that it's heedlessness, that it's like all the way at the very kind of, I don't want to call it the back of one's mind, you know, or maybe the front of one's mind. <laughs> it's the thing that's causing a lot of the other things to occur,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? Because the whole point is if one is not present and understand their existence and understand God, then a whole bunch of other ramifications are going to occur right? One of those is when it comes to the legalistic thing that a person will engage in things that are sinful, will forget things that are obligatory, etc. Right? Mm -hmm. I want to kind of flip it a little bit, though, and also mention another thing, if I I may, which is, um, you know, I think sometimes we have this like wrong conception about why the law is there. Like, what is the goal of the law? What is the goal of having rules, as though the rules are just kind of some way to uh, is it just some way to like inhibit us? But I think there's another way to think about it that Imam al Razi mentions that I think is profoundly true. Okay. Mm-hmm. One of the roles of prophets is to kind of give us, I'm going to use, he didn't, Imam Razi doesn't use this, but I'll just gonna use this example, like almost like a cheat sheet, like the summary of what you need. Right. They come down and they tell us if you want success in this life and in the next, I'm gonna give you the most important information you need to have, mm-hmm. okay? Some of those things are doctrinal. Some of those things are ethical. Some of those things are legal and the ethical and the legal sometimes overlap. Some of those things are about just how one lives one's life purposefully. So there are really, there, any one of these questions, there might be a million opinions on it in, in our lives as humans. Mm-hmm. And the prophets come and say, I know there's all this debate about this question, but I'm telling you from God, the right answer is here. And this is an important question in your existence, Mm -hmm. right? So when when they mention things in a legalistic way, I think sometimes we think, we only think of like the burden element of it, Mm -hmm. but I think the flip side is the kind of happiness element of it, right? Which is that they're trying to say, look, don't be heedless of these, these summary points because this is really one of the purposes of our existence is to kind of fulfill this function to find meaning, to find happiness, to connect back to mm-hmm. God, right? And so heedlessness gets in the way of that, right? Mm-hmm. It distracts from that. Mm-hmm. And it's only through heedlessness that we can kind of ignore that purpose and, you know, get into all types of other things that we're normally
1: getting No, into. I mean, just, just complimenting that, I think there's a tendency, especially given kind of the history of religion in the modern West, sure, to think about rules as just an unnecessary imposition, right? It's almost like, uh, until, however, COVID-19 happened. Right? <laughs> COVID-19 Everyone has exposed, has. <laughs> everybody has an appetite for minutiae, very small details, very particular rules. Before COVID, some Muslims would say to me, all of this film literature, it's obscuritist. all of these details. And this, who needs all of that and religion should be simple and these people have made uh, you know, their livelihood out of making religion complex so that we need them. But if you say, "Allah, Maulana, Anthony Fauci, <laughs> Maulana, a sheikh, Anthony Fauci said, this much distance between people is required in the mosque. People look at you and they say, hey man, that's not six feet. Right. Wait, wait, hold on. There's too many people in this elevator car. Someone <laughs> must exit. And I'm like, you told me Fink was obscure this. You told me it was, you told me this stuff was unnecessary. But the fact of the matter is, if you understand its vital importance, right, exactly. then you will adhere to those rules. I think that's right right but if you don't make a connection between those rules and the overarching purpose of religion which is what so that we worship god you know um ibn al ta'ilah says in the asrar truly in your responsibility to god that is it that, that that we express in the do's and don'ts this is the basis of your having an intimate relationship with God. This is the basis of your coming into direct knowledge of God, right? Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, My servant does not draw near to me with anything more beloved to me than what I have made an obligation upon her, than what I have made an obligation upon him. Then they continue getting closer to me through non-obligatory acts. So it's, it's, it's like, yes, I totally disagree with approaches to religion that are uh, legalistic and dry and reduce all religion to halal and haram. You know, one of the interesting things about our community being mostly a non-Arabic speaking uh, religious community is you can actually track which religious concepts are important to people by which Arabic terms they know, right? Sometimes you see people, he speaks no Arabic, but he knows the word haram. And he says it with perfect nook, right? He speaks every, any other term is unfamiliar, but haram. I think this is definitely an imbalance, right? This is definitely um, a miscalibration in terms of the sunnah of the Prophet. But to totally flout, to totally jettison, to totally disregard the significance of that revolving commitment to doing what God wants us to do, I think is similarly imbalanced.
0: Do you mind if I interject a point? I agree with you hundred percent And I really like the example um, that you used about, um, you know, are the pandemic that we've been facing. And may, you know, God, you know, heal those who are ill and Uh and, you know bring the world kind of at least back to some amount of safety and security. Uh Um, I think part of it has to do with just the awareness of the danger therein. And I think that's what ties it actually directly to what we're talking about, because it's it's the presence of mind. Yes. Of the danger of the pandemic. And so therefore, people become heightenedly aware of how, you know, certain actions will put them, you know, at risk. Yes. And so when it comes to faith and religion, it's the same idea. The idea is, okay, look, these are very important, you know, uh, things that are in your life. And if you are are present if you're aware of how important they are and what's on the line Mm -hmm. then you're going to be much more ready right and so for example Ghazali does this very interesting thing by the way Ghazali is such an amazing character I know we always talk about him but he's really really he's a very unique strange in a good way type of individual absolutely a lot of his books in which he like critiques and is very hard on people he actually directs that at his own guild of people like it's written against scholars of yeah. so it's like most of his stuff that we read about like purification of the heart it's actually not for non-experts he actually mm-hmm. wrote it with the experts in mind so mm-hmm. i think it's a very interesting thing so he says things like i'm not quoting directly but he says like most of the problems that we face in the globe are basically a result of our lack of knowing god mm-hmm. and he says okay we don't know god because we don't have the urge or the desire or the drive to want to know him.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then he says, okay, why do we lack that urge or that desire is because we don't recognize you know, the you know, finality and the temporality of the earth that we live in. And we're mm-hmm. overcome by things that distract us. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, why does that happen? He's like following this like line of thought. Sure. And he says, because there aren't enough people reminding us about kind of the dangers they're in and the success, if you follow it, they're in. And he says, and that's why it's all the scholars fault, for example, right? <laughs> because they're busy, for example, not reminding people about that, right? And I mean, of course, I'm not using this, this kind of, this time to talk about whether scholars are doing it or they're not doing it. But I think the important thing here is he, he directly connects remembering the temporality of the world, remembering what's on the line with this kind of chain of events that leads you to ultimately striving to know God and then achieving that knowledge of God, which mm-hmm. is one of our core functions
2: mm-hmm.
0: in the earth. So he actually says, you know, I'm not going to read them, but I brought stuff here from what he said. He actually says like, you know, we talk about fire and brimstone. Mm-hmm. He actually says one of the problems is not having some amount of fire and brimstone. Sure. And he says that, okay, I if we're constantly, yeah, if we're constantly saying, don't worry, everything's okay. You know, he said that can also cause problems inside people's, you know, inside themselves. Right? Then mm-hmm. they don't have that kind of that urge. I wanted to say that fire is not put under them, but that's probably <laughs> the wrong metaphor to use. So the, there's not, you know, there's not that kind of push that drive to want to come to know more. Right? So it's a mix. It's carrot and stick always. We're just humans. That's how we are. Right, and so again with things that have to do, for example, with the pandemic. If I can just draw, you know, comparison. Part of it is like the fear of getting sick, but part of it is also not wanting to get other people sick. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of all of these things that I think lead to that. But at the end of the day, it's kind of that presence of mind and not being, you know, asleep. Really, the word heedlessness, ghafla, is like being asleep, asleep. not being asleep to those things.
1: Masha'allah. We're gonna stop there so we can pray maghrib, and then after. The Maghrib will resume this conversation, inshallah. inshallah. We're just getting started. We're just getting started, right. So, bismillah ar-Rahman ar uh, We left off talking about heedlessness, and we, we came to the point in the poem in which um, uh, Imam Maulud was eluding to the fact that scholars of this science, scholars of this particular discipline, this field, they often reference ghafla or heedlessness as kind of the root of all other diseases of the heart meaning every other um, issue with which we struggle begins with heedlessness and when i was thinking about class today i thought wow it's interesting that culturally one of the terms that i think this is a a really cool development this is your baby mashallah who is this man talking to my dad? <laughs> I think I just have a seat on this, this is soft. A throne fit for a queen. <laughs> okay. right? um, and I think this is a, you know, a very interesting cultural development, but we use the term woke, right? We use the term woke usually to mean, if I'm not mistaken, a person is aware of structural inequality. A person is aware of systemic oppression. A person is uh, aware of inequity. A person is aware of privilege. Um, And all of these things are very important. Being aware of those things and also uh, making a contribution to justice or equity. Where I think some of that uh, concern, some of that focus can fall flat is while we are concerned about everything else, we don't express nearly as much concern about our own souls, being advocates for our own souls, that one can be an advocate for the environment, one can be an advocate for animals, one can be an advocate for oppressed people, but don't forget to be an advocate for your own soul. So it's kind of, in a sense, you know, taking this idea of being woke and not turning it on its head, but starting with yourself—be woke, mm-hmm. be aware, be yeah. conscious. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, the saying of Sayyidina Ali, "Kerma lahu wajis." people are asleep, mm-hmm. but when they die, they wake up. They wake up. So one of the goals of the conscientious uh muslim is to be awake before that sure right to wake up before that i mean do you have any ideas about that
0: yeah i mean i would say i agree with you in principle what you're saying i maybe i would frame it as we encourage we should encourage ourselves to be more awake awoke woke right um in that you know that's good to be aware of those things and we should try to be aware of even more things and i don't think people who are i mean i don't think the word woke is currently continue to be used in a positive way maybe it still is i'm not sure and mostly no, it's you. No, is It mostly is it
1: i mean it, it's from what i understand oh I yeah mean, and no everybody worries. knows my social media presence is not <laughs> no robust worries. No worries. i mean either way it's, but it, it,
0: sometimes it's used positive sure, sure
1: sometimes it's it's used in a, a pejorative way sure
0: well right? i think using it in a positive sense i would just continue to say we should even have more of that but in other realms of our lives as well so, um, uh, you know, I know we're going to get to this, but I think interestingly that, that kind of how do we deal with heedlessness? How do we wake up? I think that's you find similarities even in kind of that activist mentality about, well, how do you address these, these issues? And I actually think some of the solutions they have there mimic some of the solutions when we talk about spiritual awakenedness,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, which is interesting, right? And it kind of shows you that these, as you said at the open, Either your lamb before I was with you guys live on on the on the what's it called and and I think you started saying the same thing which these are like these are human concerns these are these are shared among you know not just one faith they're across humanity time and space and I agree a hundred percent with that um, and so the solutions to some of that heedlessness you know doesn't matter what society you're in often you're going to see that the solutions are similar because they're human solutions not human and I don't mean it in kind of like that they're fallible. What I mean is that there are only so many options you have to try to address. The limited. These, yeah, these very human concerns, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I think, yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I think it's just about being aware of even more things mm-hmm. and that we're, and being in a more holistic sense. Mm-hmm. I think that's 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 absolutely true. And many people within even, I would say, that kind of activist culture are aware of that. That's why you have people who kind of, balance out the, the, what you're doing in the communities and in the activism with one's own, like well-being, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a clear concern that kind of also emerges.
1: Yeah. He begins, um, well, he continues, he says, the cure for heedlessness or ghafla is to be found in four deeds, all of which possess rectifying qualities. Seek forgiveness from God. Visit the righteous. Invoke benedictions upon the Prophet and recite God's book. Speak to any of those that you want. I have some. I have some insights about some of these too. Sure. Children,
0: but any I'll start with. One, I'll start with one. This is one of my favorite hadith. Okay. So those of you that don't know, a hadith is basically a saying of the Prophet Muhammad, uh, mm-hmm. peace and blessings be upon him. Um, includes other things, but that's the majority of what they're talking about. So this is one of my favorite. And it was really like, it shook me when I first read it and it continues to shake me till this day in a positive way. Um, the hadith, again, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna summarize it. I'm not gonna say it word for word. The hadith goes something like this. Uh, it says that God strikes as a metaphor, right? So the prophet is saying, God strikes this metaphor for all of us. And he says a, a, a path, right? Like a Like a road. And that path has walls along both sides of it. So you just think of like these brick walls kind of just running across the sides. Mm -hmm. And those walls have doors or gates along them, Mm -hmm. like multiple gates on on both walls. But the doors are open, but there are drapes draped over them. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Okay. And there is a collar at the beginning of the path and there is a caller above the path. It's not very clear what it means by above, but above it, maybe like floating above it. And there are different versions of the hadith, the hadith is found in Ahmed, is found in Tirmidhi, etc. cetera. Um, there are different versions of it. etc. in the, the, the one version, the, the callers are reciting a verse of the Quran. You're being called to the abode of peace, right? In one version, the first one is telling them to get onto the path and then the other one It's seeing them as they kind of veer onto into one of the doors. So I'm careful, like, don't go into the door. If you just open the drape, you'll go inside. Right. And then the prophet says, after all of this, he explains, which is also pretty rare. He actually explains the metaphor. Like he doesn't leave it as a metaphor. He actually explains what the metaphor is. And he goes on and he says, basically that the path is life or it's your religion, right? The straight path is your religion. It's Islam. And the caller at the beginning of it is the Quran. Mm-hmm. And it's calling you to Islam. Mm-hmm. And then he says the, the, the walls are God's limits. Mm-hmm. And the doors are that which God has prohibited. Mm-hmm. And if you kind of like are trying to check it out, <laughs> you might fall in. Fall it. So you have another caller and he basically doesn't really fully explain it in detail, but it seems to be like our idea of a conscience. It's what every person has inside of them, right? In other words, it's a guiding force, a fitra, if you want to say. He doesn't explain it in full. He says every human has it inside of them that kind of dis- that distinguishes for them right from wrong, right? So it's kind of trying to stop them,
2: mm-hmm. right?
0: Um, this hadith to me is profound, and it, it ties directly into this, that the Quran is almost like it's waking you up from your slumber even though the Quran, okay, it's in Arabic, it's, it's actually very like poetic, you know, uh, rhetorical devices. But even when you read it in translation in English, it has profound impact, Sure, right? And, and kind of when one returns to the Quran, it has this kind of impact of like waking one up. Part of it is just the content. Mm-hmm. Like part of it is like you're reading content that's kind of resuscitates us. And part of it is the miraculousness of the speech. Part of it sometimes is the melodiousness of the speech. I mean, I don't have a great voice, but if you had somebody who had a great voice- No, you're
1: doing your thing I don't know, we're not hearing some Istanbul or the Mississippi Delta, man. It
0: had a a little blues flavor to it too, you know what I'm saying? So so I think sometimes it's the melodious nature of it, right? Mm -hmm. So it has that kind of impact. So I think that's what I would like to speak to of the four, at least start with that, is that the Quran itself has this kind of, it has something, has a feature to it. And that's why returning to it continuously wakes us up, reminds us of why we're here, connects us to our Lord.
1: Mm. You know, I recently had an experience Mm -hmm. that reshaped my relationship with the Quran. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe last week, but it forced me to come to terms with the fact that my introduction to the Quran you know, I converted to Islam when I was a teenager. And then shortly after that, I entered a madrasa, a school, and my introduction to the Quran was through tahfif, was through memorization. I never really got myself an opportunity to just read the Quran and be impacted by it, just to, just to read it for spiritual solace,
3: No, I I became some, and then shortly after that, I was spinning like. At this medera.
1: and it was I mean, it was a really sure, um, but it made the Quran. Uh, a source of academic pursuit for me a source of uh, she's okay but oh mashallah she's transfixed by her dad it made the quran like a source of uh, scholastic pursuit for sure. me right and I, shortly after that i was in the medrasa for for a couple of years and i didn't complete my memorization but i memorized a good, oh, a, good a good a good portion oh, mashallah inshallah. um then i went to yemen then i enrolled at azhar and as i was attempting to juggle the ulum studying you know different islamic sciences learning arabic learning fiqh learning mustalahatul hadith it became very difficult for me to retain my memorization hmm. and every time after that uh, that i opened the quran it was only trying to reclaim something that i had memorized mm-hmm, mm-hmm. once upon a time sure that i was i was i was losing i felt sure. it slipping sure. and when something had actually slipped my mind it became a great source of guilt for me hmm. right and you had all of these hadith about those who memorize the quran <laughs> and, and forget the quran right, right, right. And, um, and that kind of kept me away from the quran for a little while
0: sure kept you at bay a
1: little bit it it, it kept me at bay a little bit like it was either a source of great responsibility or a source of great shame and humiliation and uh for years we're talking 10 12 maybe 14 years ramadan would come around and i would say to myself okay i'm going to revise all of the quran that i used to know and then Ramadan, I would get very busy. Sure. And I wouldn't be able to revise. Sure. And recently, I had like a personal crisis.
2: Mm-hmm. And I just
1: wanted to go to the beach and just read the Quran. Yeah. And something said to me, just read the Quran. Don't try to memorize the pages. Yeah. Don't uh, read and then stop and try to recite from memory. Don't read something that you used to know. And then just read the Quran. And now, alhamdulillah, having greater proficiency in Arabic, just listen.
2: Yeah,
1: it was a wholly different experience, yeah. and I was thinking to myself, people have been doing this for like 10, 15, Like I'm, a, I am. Uh, yeah. Alhamdulillah. You know, um, I went to USHOP, mm-hmm. and we had to we had to memorize every year yeah. for exams and stuff sure. like that. And I realized that I need to just leave memorization alone for a bit. Mm-hmm. Just the Quran. Just go from fatiha to anas. Mm. Just reading, reading, yeah, reading, agree. and just being impacted by not only the elocutionary force of the words, mm, right. but the melodious notes of the yeah. of the of the ayat, um, and reading from the Quran and trying to beautify the Quran with your voice and your voice with the Quran. Both interpretations of the hadith are sound actually. Yeah. It does have this impact of waking us up. And the last thing I'll say about that, um, there's an Athar, there's a tradition uh, attributed to Sufyan Athori, who was a great scholar of the first generation of Muslims after the companions of the Prophet Muhammad. Um, may God be pleased with them and peace be upon him. And he was known for his piety. So he was walking in the market and someone said to him, you know, Sufyan, we aren't like you. He said, what do you mean? He said, man, it's like our hearts are asleep. We hear the verses of the Quran and they don't even impact us. And Sufyan said, no, if you hear the verses of the Quran and you're not impacted by them, your heart is dead. Because a sleeping person, if you shake them or if you move them, if you startle them, they will awaken. Mm But despair not. God gives life after death. Mm. You can revive your heart just as the fallow land of the earth is revived in spring. And then he reminded them of the uh, uh, dua or the supplication of the prophet. <speaking in Hebrew> oh Allah, make the Quran that which revives our hearts. Right. So reestablishing our relationship with Scripture, reading it in contexts that don't um, uh, create tension and pressure, but instead open the way to companionship and guidance. You know, I, I'm only recently doing that myself. Yeah. And I think this is a really profound shift uh, for me. Would you would you talk to about. Um, uh Visiting really beautiful. visiting the righteous.
0: Yeah, I think it ties very similarly to what you said. Before I get to that, I just want to say that verse in the Quran that to the effect of says, you know, it's describing people who have hard hearts. And then it says, you know, uh, you know, at their heart as hard as rocks, but rocks even have springs that spring forth. So, like on one reading, it's the like the
3: Oh, I mean, who's more righteous than the- our uh, mm-hmm. Sayyidina Abu Bakr? May God be well pleased with him. Um, you know, he comes and he sees this man, humble And in fact, it, it's- he
0: said, humble because says, what, like, why are you saying you're, it's like a huge thing to say. And he said, well, you know, when I'm around the prophet, like, my, I'm so impacted, it's as though I can see heaven and hell. And then I leave, and I go back to like my business, I go back to everyday life, I go back to my family, and that kind of slowly dissipates, mm-hmm. right? And they say, says, oh, wait a second, like, I have that same problem. <laughs> so they said, okay, well, let's go talk to the prophet Muhammad. And uh, they come to the Prophet Muhammad s. 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 and he says, You know, how are you, Alhamdulillah? And he said, Alhamdulillah is a hypocrite, like he becomes a hypocrite. And he said, You know, for every claim, there has to be evidence. What's your evidence? So he tells him the same thing. And the Prophet a. S. 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 says a very interesting response. He said, If you were to remain in the same state you are with
3: all time, and you know,
0: even an hour there, there's, I think, a lot of correct ways to look at it. But I think one of the correct ways is like, we're working at it. We're trying to become better. in company in his attacks. And person's name is because I just was impacted by him a lot. There's a brother, a lot of you might know. His name is Umar Mahmoud. He's a psychologist. He has a PhD in psychology. Uh-oh. He's recently become ill. What?
1: Up, Omar right. de Mendoza. Yeah, yeah. SubhanAllah. Yeah, he was
0: struggling with uh, with a tumor for a long time in his brain. And, really? But that brother like impacted me to no other when I was like 18 years old. Honestly, I will put everything that happened to me religiously on my meeting him. Uh, you know, I was 18 and, you know, he was just something about him. It wasn't that like, he's this huge scholar. It wasn't anything like that. It was like, it was like emanating from him. And he
1: like, the Quran very beautifully.
0: yeah, he also has a beautiful voice, yeah. but even just being like in front of him, it's like almost like you could, you can feel it, mm-hmm. right? And I felt like I was being impacted just by being this company, wow, I right? It. And I've thankfully met other people like that. And I really do feel that that's one of, and I, you know, it's here in the text, that's one of the biggest ways to wake up is you meet other people who are awake. You know, we only use kind of the corny, like example of the matrix, you know, like the person who's already and they help you wake up, right? But I think it's, it is, it's something like that. You know, we're going about kind of our day-to-day life and there are other people who are already kind of, they're already aware. And then they say, well, hang on a second, like, let me help you become aware. Mm-hmm. Um, and they wake you up. And I, and I think that, that that's a profoundly true insight.
1: I, I think, you know, just, just camelbacking off of that, we're a t- leave, We don't piggyback, we camelback. <laughs> uh, uh, I think we often, even though it, it seems counterintuitive that we would, but we tend to underestimate the impact that people have on each other, right? If you spend enough time with anybody, you will find yourself impacted by them. In some way, sometimes sure. positively, sometimes Negative. negatively, yeah, definitely. right? You'll find yourself using expressions right, of course. that they use. Uh, you will find yourself engaging in practices that they engage in. You know, I had a, um, uh, a friend, uh, African-American, but he was working as the secretary of one uh, Pakistani-American uh, Muslim. And sometimes I would be talking to my African-American friend. And he would say, "acha." <laughs> what? <laughs> and he wasn't, he would just say, "acha," And I was saying, what? <laughs> so what does that mean? It means okay. You know, the man I work for, he, he says oh, yeah. it so often. Sure. That it just rubbed off.
0: I picked me. up on it. Yeah. It, just, it,
1: just, it just rubbed off. Sure, definitely. You know, I spent time in Egypt. Sometimes when I'm agitated, I find myself sure. saying, Allah. Yeah, Allah. It just rubs off on me. Someone said, Allah. Yeah. It just,
2: these things they rub off.
1: Similarly, if someone is uniquely present and aware, you will begin to gain from their awareness. You will begin to mimic their awareness. You know, a lot of um, our attempts at moral excellence. Really, come down to just faking it until you make it, man.
2: Right?
1: Real talk. Like, I don't know how. I, I think. Um, I don't know. Some people use that expression negatively. Yeah. Some people use it positively. I think it's overwhelmingly positive. If what you're faking is something, if you're not really patient, pretend like you're patient.
0: Right. right? Which well, from the hadith, right, and that's found in the hadith. exactly. Yeah.
1: If you if you're not if you're not really a person that tries to be present, pretend like. You know, everybody else is like putting their phone away and like really like trying to pay attention. Just do what they do. It's like, you're supposed to to put the phone away, man. You know what I'm saying? These things, they will begin to rub off on you. So visiting people that are kind of, you know, um, it's almost like they're operating at a higher level. Right. And for me, this is kind of the meaning of the hadith of the Prophet. The believer is the mirror of the believer. You can see yourself, your deficiencies, your weaknesses, those things you need to work on by looking at someone free of those deficiencies. Free of those weaknesses. It's like, wow, I need to be patient (laughs) like that. I need to be present like that. I need to be generous like that. Yeah. And it, it becomes a, you know, a kind of moral guide without words. Sure. Right. When you see people that are very patient with their kids, all of us say, I need to step my parenting game up, man. <laughs> right. I'm yelling just Amen. Like, all the time. Yeah, right? Right. What are you doing? What is? Right, come right. on, kids. I'm trying to read. I'm trying to prepare a class. What's up, man? What's y- come on, man. Let me live. <laughs> and then I see... My teachers doing much more you know demanding work right. at much higher levels. The kids are jumping all over them and they're still looking at the book. Mm-hmm. And they're dealing with their kids. Want me to read this to you? heedlessness. Heedlessness is a terrible lack of attention. <laughs> you know, and it's like I'm I'm just put to shame. Like, yeah, he understands the significance of what this moment means with his son.
2: Right, yeah, that's exactly.
1: And clearly I don't. I don't realize that I might not ever get a time where he wants to jump on my lap again. He'll be 12 one time, I say, come sit on my lap, dad, please.
0: Please, right.
1: I I won't even walk down the street with you. Right. (laughs) Let alone sit on your lap.
0: Allah protect us, that's right. So
1: so people that they recognize the significance of each moment. Um, And the last thing, uh, seeking forgiveness we've covered. And the last thing before we open, open the floor, uh, salawat on the Prophet alayhi yeah. How does that relate to to, to, to hudur or present or you know uh, um, um, countering Ghafla, countering hilash?
0: Sure. I mean, I mean, I I don't know that I have a, the right answer, but I can I can attempt something, which is a lot of times sending salutations is just a way of drawing closer to the Prophet Muhammad peace and blessings be upon him, and to remember him and his company. Okay, we can't have physical company. He passed. Mm-hmm. But we can have that kind of spiritual company with him and proximity to him. And what better company to kind of remember our reason for existing other than the Prophet? So, I mean, I think that's probably the way that I would I would uh, gloss it.
1: You know what's interesting, man, about salawat, man? You know, every, they say, uh, every people knows the source from which they are nourished, mm-hmm. right? They know their mashrab. Sure and for a long time i would always hear uh, sufis saying you know salli well, ala nabi you know uh, alayhi yeah. send salawat on the prophet and i don't ever think that i really understood the significance of that hmm. you know i would be like okay you know it's yeah. like okay you know but one day i was rushing to catch a plane and i was really late <laughs> I was I was on the blue line, right? Never rushed to catch a plane on a train. And every time the train stopped, I would run to the door and yell at the conductor, "Hey, come on, man! I'm trying to get somewhere." <laughs> right? I was I was flying a Lufthansa flight, um, mm-hmm. you know, tr- you know, um, transitioning in Frankfurt and going to Cairo. Mm-hmm. Come on, man! Come on! What are we doing here? And um, an older black woman said to me, I don't know what you're rushing to do, but all of that pacing and yelling is not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. You would be better off if you prayed. She just said this to me. Oh. And something said to me, send salawat on the Prophet. Oh. And I just sat down and I just started to say, I just started sending salawat on the Prophet. And immediately I felt myself getting calmer. Mm-hmm. Right? Every I felt myself just calming down. By the time the train pulled into O'Hare, I exited the train. I wasn't even frantic. I mean, I was, I was, I wasn't like walking like, like I was just so cool. <laughs> but it was like a little harwala, you know, what I mean? it was a little hardwala. It was a little, you know, little, a little brisk walk. A little brisk walk, a little weather, you know, little, but I wasn't frantic. I got to the, um, the counter, and I said, uh, my flight leaves in like 30 minutes. It's an international flight. She said, if you want to make it, you won't be able to check a bag. I said, no worries. I'll leave the bag here and have somebody come get it, send it to me later. Walked down, got to the gate. They said, Huh, we were just about to close the gate. We've been waiting for you. Walked, Sat down on the plane. As, I, as the plane was pulling away from the <laughs> gate. I said to myself, in sending salawat on the Prophet in that moment, I had actually engaged in the sunnah. That in the midst of my own tribulation, I had forgotten myself Mm -hmm. and I prioritized him. Mm -hmm. And when you think about the Prophet they say that on Yom Al Qiyamah, on the day of judgment, when everybody is saying, nafsi, 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 me, 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 what's going to happen to me? Now that, that's how I was moving,
0: like, kinda like that. <laughs> she wants to show you.
1: She went, th- this is a visual, aid. what's on This is faulty, man, we, we planned this out, you know. When I said I was moving, like, a little brisk, kinda like, same, same flavor. On your own qiyamah when every single person will be saying, nafsi, 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 Myself, 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 the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam will be saying, Ummati, Ummati, Ummati. He won't be thinking about himself. He'll be thinking about you. And I thought, in that moment, I was able not to think about myself. I was able to think about him. And as he promised in the Hadith, everything was made easy by that. Now, I could have very well missed the flight. But emotionally, it's always a source of solace. It's just a reminder, you're present, right? In Allah Nabi, God and His angels send invocations and benedictions upon the Prophet. Oh, you who believe, do the same, right? So you're you're present, you're engaged literally in a divine act, not in the same way. This isn't an Aqeidah class, although he loves Akidah, but not in the same way, but it's a divine act, it's an angelic act. And one of the things that it bequeaths to its doer is presence, right? So just some thoughts. And
0: one, just just some one thoughts. last thing. The interesting thing is the scholars say that if you don't have a teacher, sending salawat is like the best you know, uh, stand in for that. Nice. So it's interesting that if this person's feeling like they're struggling with something spiritually, that one of the things that they can do if they can't have someone to kind of help walk them through that, is to send salawat To send those invocations As a way of, of achieving that
1: <laughs>
0: Thank you for tuning in Please consider becoming a monthly sustainer By joining 1000 Hearts of Ta'lif And committing to give $3 a day To keep this work coming to seekers Youth and newcomers to Islam Sign up today at www.leafcollective.org forward slash donate. We hope you enjoyed the variety of sessions available and hope you benefit immensely. Allah bless you and Allah bless your loved ones.